Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And And our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped. It loves a circle with no end. What? 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 Hello and welcome to the Happiness Is podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison from Happiness Is Egg Shaped. And we are back with another big hitter from the great game of rugby. And today I am absolutely delighted to be joined by rugby playing author, the magnificent Catherine Spencer, who also shares my exact birthday, although she looks a good 10 to 12 years younger than I am. We also share that birthday with Johnny Wilkinson, who hasn't agreed to come on the show yet, but we start at the top with Catherine today. I am very excited to hear all about the journey and what's happening now, because being that crazy lady that she is, who never likes to settle, she's decided to become a teacher. Go figure that one. I am really looking forward to hearing all about this journey that has brought Catherine to this point here and all about the book and all about England and all about an unbelievable number of Grand Slams. So without any further ado, please welcome to the Happiness Is pod, Catherine Spencer. Hello. Hello. I think that might be the nicest welcome I've, I've ever received. Shall we just leave it there? Well, and we're done. Yeah, I, I love it. I'm so pleased to see you. So you find yourself now on half-term holiday, is that right? I do. Yeah, holidays, school holidays. It's great. Loving it. Sun shining as well. Well-timed weather for this half-term. So yeah, relatively new experience for me. Well, apart from when I was at school a long, long time ago. But um, yeah, just getting towards the end of my training year as a teacher. And uh, yeah, very much enjoying school holidays. 
and becoming a teacher what's the rationale behind that what am I doing? Um, <laughs> yes, well, yeah, my career's been a bit ooh, a bit wobbly like that. Um, I was, uh, prior to teaching and sort of after rugby retirement, um, I ran my own company, Inspiring Women, which is a speaker agency, which relied heavily on events and people being in the same room together. Um, so it was going really well. I'd, I'd run the business for six years or so, um, you know, working for myself. Um, I then took a bit of time out to have my daughter, who's just turned two. Um, I can't believe that. Um, and just coming back, just putting some more time into it. I created, and well, I say I created, uh, the amazing Max at Rucking Rugby created me a lovely new website, was just kind of relaunching, rebranding, and then covid which we won't talk too much about hit and my my kind of business went to zero overnight so it kind of forced me to reassess where I was really and teaching something I've always thought about my mum was a teacher my brother's a teacher my brother's other brothers worked in education and I've kind of always I did my work experience when I was 14 as a teacher <laughs> um and I finally thought you know what I'm gonna go for it you know and lots of transferable skills I can stand up in front of an audience every day and chat so you know he wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, no, exactly. It's a performance, as we were discussing a little bit off yeah. off camera. Now, I read this when it first came out. I've got I've got the signed copy uh, for Bruce. Happiness is egg shaped. Catherine Spencer, <laughs> number eight, and I, I absolutely love it. And that's a that's a pretty bold move to write a book, and you did it all on your lonesome. Now, say what you will about rugby forwards. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, I, well, I was I was a back row. We've got we've got some brains back there. But <laughs> sorry, obviously I don't mean that front row. Um, yeah, I, do you know what? I, again, I like I like writing, and I've done a fair bit of writing over the years, sort of various um, publications. But I've always thought, you know, I've got stories as hell. And at the same time, going into books, I love going into books. I love it. Um, but going into bookshops, you go into the sports biography shelves, and you kind of like have to hunt out for the, any books written by or about women. Um, particularly in the rugby world, very, very rare. So I was like, do you know what? I've been thinking all this time, what should I write about? What should I write about? I was like, I'm going to write about kind of my story or our, star our story in women's rugby. Um, so that's exactly what I did. Just wrote it all myself, Bruce. Yeah, which again is quite unusual, uh, putting some ghostwriters out of work. <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed it. It was hard. It was hard getting all those, uh, all those words onto paper and... Um, quite emotionally hard to write it at times and then used an amazing publishers unbounders who are kind of quite a forward-thinking publishers and and happy to take a punt on um on people like me i guess uh where perhaps traditional publishers wouldn't have done so it's uh, even just the the dedication at the front which I've, I've now got open um you begin with thank you to your family you then have your husband um you then have a, a bit of a thank you to Stephen Jones who told you to bloody get on with it and write it yourself <laughs> so other people have obviously been hugely important to support you through the journey that you've had how easy have you found that to to not rely on other people but to seek out help or have you kept it internally and decided no no I'm a big girl I need to do this myself um, with the, the book certainly was a very kind of probably very personal project really um, and I wrote yeah you're right my family have been hugely important to me over the years I've been so fortunate to have such a supportive family um, throughout well before my before my inner rugby career and through that and beyond 
Um, but the book was very much a sit down, get the words on paper myself. But um, yeah, Steve Jones was, um, he was very much, Kath, you've got to write this, you have to write this, you have to write this. And, and perhaps at times when I was finding it a bit difficult, I would just listen to his words in my head. And, and for those people that don't know, Steve Jones has been one of the sort of biggest kind of supporters of women's rugby in a way before it was even slightly uh trendy as it is now yeah. it's kind of yeah, going, no, you know, it's kind of thing now hasn't it um steve james was writing about women's rugby 25 years ago um and you know he's been hugely supportive of me you know my career and you know i so i met up with him a few times sort of about it because i have to write it, have to write it. so i kind of thought well i have to steve james told me i have to write it um but I did, I did enjoy it. But yeah, I used to write in various different places, take my little laptop with me everywhere, in cafes, on trains, you know, at home, on the beach, anywhere, just trying to get more words down. And um, yeah, it was a good old, good old process. But, uh, yeah, what, the, what, the old brain cogs occasionally. What, what, was, what was the challenge? What, what, were there any parts that you found really quite difficult or was sharing any part of the story with maybe your family or your teammates difficult? Yeah, I I thought if I'm going to do this, I have to do it properly. And I didn't want the book to kind of be different just because it was written by a woman. I wanted to be kind of different for its honesty. And I think as the kind of first biography with a women's rugby player, particularly in this country, I kind of thought it had to kind of had to have a bit of a punch. <laughs> um, and I think it did with the honesty. But I didn't really show it to anyone first so the first time my parents read it was in the <laughs> I got one too just in case in in the book you know when it was published when the book came out so I was a bit kind of I wonder what their you know reaction was going to be like and I talk about retiring I talk about actually it must have been really difficult for my family but I never really spoke to them about it at the time so that was kind of a bit in a way having a conversation with my family <laughs> through my book so I was a bit like oh you know wonder what they're gonna think and you you always want the people around you to to kind of you want praise don't you <laughs> from the yeah. people around you and the people that are closest to you and the people you love as much you know I want I wanted to make them proud you know and and I think I did that mostly on the rugby pitch but I was you know I really wanted to do that with this book as well and I, I think I did <laughs> oh absolutely and it is very very honest now the last bit of the dedication says this book is also for me I needed this book more than I realized when I started it what, what does that mean? I I needed to. It was kind. It was kind of a form of therapy for me. Um, I found sort of retirement very difficult, and then I found retirement mixed with not winning World Cups very difficult. Um, and sometimes or often, I forget to think about what I did do and think a lot about what I didn't do. Um, and I'm still guilty of that now. This kind of book just helped me look at that a little bit more um, and I also found that I needed to kind of package my career up a little bit you know I retired over just over 10 years ago now for England and I still think about it all the time you know I can't kind of I find it hard to stop thinking about it but with this book I have kind of you know literally put it in two covers I can I can sort of put it there and like you know one day my daughter maybe you know she'll read it and she'll see what mummy did and it's kind of like I needed to kind of have something tangible there so that oh this is gonna sound so that maybe it's not forgotten you know um and you know I'm not gonna just kind of 
oh like I kind of like le kept loads and loads of like newspaper cuttings and medals and, and need to they're in a box they're somewhere else you know like they're kind of you know in storage somewhere but this book I can have that you know it's a little bit I can have that on the on the bookcase and I kind of think yeah that's brilliant that's there and that you know now I can move on a little bit but it was it was definitely a form of therapy it was cheaper than going to actual therapy that I could just sit there and, <laughs> and write it myself um so yeah I didn't realize when I started you know when I when I finished it I was kind of like what who am I writing this book for you know, I thought I was being this like, yeah, I'm writing it for you know for women and equality, and you know, getting more female books on bookshelves. I was I was writing for myself as well, but you know, it's it's a long project. I think you probably have to. Be. And is it a bit like a game where you're so engrossed in it and you don't want the whistle to come? Was the finish actually? Was there a little bit of sadness? Was there a little bit of deflated feeling when it was over, or was there the feeling of euphoria of achievement and? hoping it's printed and hoping people read it? Probably all of the above. When I actually finished the words, when I finished writing, um, I was three months pregnant and feeling extremely sick. I had a horrible pregnancy. So right then I was just like, just get it away from me. I've finished, <laughs> I've got the words. And then there's quite a long process. So it felt like a long process. So I, I kind of crowdfunded for the publishing cost. Crowd, crowdfunded the publishing cost. So that was kind of a long process. And then you write the book. And then after that, you've got this whole editing process, there's various editing stages. So I'd, I'd finished writing it, feeling very sick. And then, and then you know, a few weeks or months later, you get it back for like the first edit. Oh, I've got to read it, I've got to look at it again. And then you get another edit. Um, so it was quite a long process. But then there was kind of real excitement, you know, coming up to sort of near book launch and things like that. But with some nervousness as well. You know, it's kind of myself on a page. I want, I want people to like me. <laughs> Um, so it was really important to me and I like the book as well. Most people have, some people haven't, you know, and that's fine, but you know, most people have. And so lots, loads of emotions, a bit like, you know, playing rugby as well, itself, you know, loads of loads of emotions. Yeah, and the, there are people who will watch a rugby performance and say you played well, and there are others who will probably focus on the negatives and tell you what you've not done not done well you've got the quote on the front from from your buddy Maggie who says yeah. inspiring powerful emotional and honest how important was it for you to get feedback from your contemporaries and your peers who who could probably have written something quite similar although you were you you weren't academy straight into pro you know you weren't following probably the and now what is a common male model and um, mm -hmm. you were a professional person outside you were having relationships you were having all the things you had to do and still playing international rugby so how important was it that you were representing your peers it, it yeah it, it was really I wanted to I wanted kind of people to know that it was it was hard. I mean, it's meant to be hard, isn't it? Playing in Smasher. I actually talk about that in a book. One of my um, former colleagues said that, you know, for a game, it's meant to be hard. He's like, oh, yeah, of course it is. Um, so, yeah, it kind of was important for me, to, for people to realise that. Often when we were playing, people thought we were professional. People thought we were getting paid and were really shocked to hear when we weren't. And I kind of, like I said to, you know, teammates at the time, I think this is good. People think we're professional. This is a good thing. You know, like we should take that as a massive compliment. But it was blimmin' hard work doing what we did. But, you know, we did it. We didn't have to. You know, it was a choice. Anyone who plays sport, any level, whether they're paid or not, it is a choice. <laughs> and I think sometimes we kind of, we forget that. But it was, it, yeah, it was important to me to kind of represent our game well, generally, um, 
and represent kind of my teammates and the, the work that we put in it, that was yeah that was important to me I wanted to show that I'm in a good light and do you love the game enough that you would have played if you weren't an international so uh, you know that that lifestyle part of it was probably driven because you were experiencing personal success you had that drive would you have still played the game if you weren't an England international do you think I definitely would have played the game. It was, you know, we're like a rugby family, you know, and um, I was playing in the back garden before I went up to the rugby club. And then my home club, the Folkestone, was just, it was, you know, like my extended family in a way. And I just absolutely loved our team at Folkestone. If if I didn't happen to get to the next step and the next step, I would have been playing there for, for as long as I could. I absolutely loved it. I'm a, you know, I'm a rugby person who happened to kind of get quite good, you know, and get to quite a good level. But I, you know, I love the rugby. I love rugby. And I, I was, probably used to be more a fan maybe than I am now but I I absolutely loved every minute of playing rugby I was just fortunate enough to be able to play it with a with an international shirt on my back but it's just a great game you know you get to run into people (laughs) (laughs) I love I love hearing that because sometimes I wonder especially now the game for men is professional and women as I'm still not sure I can call it professional but becoming more professional I still sometimes wonder if players would play if they love it or if they're doing it because they're good at it. But it's it's brilliant to hear that you would have played regardless. And I think that often helps you become successful, doesn't it, if you love what you're doing? Yeah, you've got to love what you're doing, particularly, you know, when you're kind of spending every kind of waking moment apart from working and sleeping, like committing to it. You, ha- you have to love it, don't you? And I, I kind of think you probably have to love it if you're getting paid, do you? I don't know. I know they've got paid to play, so I can't really, I can't really comment on that. Um, but I, yeah, it, it's an interesting. One. I mean, I was, I was probably rare for my age in women's rugby that I'd been involved in the game for so long. It was certainly rare for for the girls to be playing in the in the eighties when I first started. It was old, um, you know. So I kind of, I built up that kind. You know, Nolly Waterman was like this. You know, she started when she was very young and. Um, yeah, it's a bit younger than me, but like it was a rarity. Most most women came into the game when they're a bit older, maybe at like you know, university or something like that. So perhaps they didn't have that kind of deep-rooted um passion for the game. And I think that certainly showed at the other end because we kind of lose a lot of women to the game when they retire. And I think maybe that's because the roots are not not deep enough, not strong enough, not kind of like uh, ingrained enough, but Perhaps that's changing now and more, you know, women and girls, women, more girls start <laughs> when they're younger. But I wonder, Bruce, you're right, I wonder where it's going to go, how it's going to go as it continues to get more professional. Um, hopefully it will stay in a good place. Yeah, I hope so. You, you started in Clubland, whereas if you start in the uni, you mm. might have travelled to be part of that uni which means you go home or you move somewhere else for work so your original sort of site of falling in love with the place isn't local whereas being involved in your local club probably means you have a greater sense of belonging how strong was that sense of belonging for you you know in in the book you, you speak really highly of the people that were involved and the opportunity they gave you and how they sent you off to the next stage with encouragement and love but also with the you know please don't forget us and come back yeah oh so strong Bruce like I love I love my club I mean you know there's 
loads of amazing rugby clubs up and down this country this you know folks happened to be my home club and I you know I'm really pleased it was because it was just it was just brilliant it was hugely supportive like hugely kind of proud really and very much as you say it's like you know we really support you going to the next stage we'd love you to stay and play here but we support you going to the next stage because we see what you can do but you're this is your home you're welcome here all the time and I think that's that's one of the most amazing things about rugby and and most clubs and you know I went I went on to play with some like really great clubs and you know when I came back to Kent and, and played for Ailes I loved playing with that team my home club was always Folkestone wherever I was playing you know whether I was at Bristol who again I love playing for Bristol my home club's always Folkestone and I think you know you're right having that home having that you know that place where you've kind of developed as a you know as a person is, is really important and I just yeah I can't, I can't speak, you know, I can't speak highly enough for them really. And, um, and yeah, they're just brilliant. I love it. Yeah. I love, I love Clubland. It's my favorite yeah. place and there's so much there. So I think clubs do a great job of getting people through the door. The challenge is keeping them coming back through the door. What was it made you keep going back to Folkestone? the people <laughs> the people but you know I'd been going to Folkestone since I was you know seven eight you know my, my brothers were there my dad played there and you know my best friends were there you know it was kind of you know a place to meet my friends as well wasn't it and it was just just a lovely environment really um you know my parents still live uh, in their house at the moment actually they still live um you know just down the road from from the club and it's you know it's somewhere that I'll always I'll always go to because I feel like they gave me so much you know I feel that you know I want to be there but part of me feels like you know I should still support that because I because I got so much from them over the years um but unlike you Bruce I just like I like club rugby I think it's brilliant you know we've got kind of a huge range haven't we we've got the sort of professional end at the top and as you say this kind of route through academies and stuff like that and I'm, you know, I'm just a bit old school. I just like club rugby. I kind of like, <laughs> it's just, I just, I just enjoy being there. Um, and, you know, it's, it's brilliant to experience, you know, stuff at the top end and, and, and watch sort of professional rugby and stuff. But, you know, I think the true values are probably where they don't shout about them the loudest. They don't have a huge marketing budget to talk about them. That's it's where they are in action, aren't they? That's where I like to be. So, right. I, I love this. Um, I wasn't sure where we were going, but I'm delighted we've got to Clubland. So <laughs> you're now in front of a group of kids who are saying, what's the point? What's the point in going to a rugby club? Now, here's here's some of the issues I experience, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts. There's no immediate, almost immediate gratification, because the things you're talking about are things built up over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's a difficult thing I find to sell to parents because you're playing a much longer game. Relationships and and those soft social skills are worth their weight in gold. It's where probably I've got a lot of my confidence to speak to people, international rugby players, international rugby coaches, because the common bond we share is through this, this game that I was able to access as a slower than a fortnight in the jail number 10 with international rugby players who have done amazing things and and that clubhouse is I used to say this to a local club that I was involved with yes we want them to come and play but we want them in the clubhouse because that's how we keep them now I'm not sure how how effective or successful I've ever been I still bang the drum for clubland because I think it's a, an amazing place 
how do you, how can you go about selling that to people to a group of kids that are in front of you or to their parents or to the local community in Folkestone how can you sell clubland to them it's really it's really difficult isn't it and it's kind of like a question we're always asked or something you know over the whole time you know when I was at, um when I was at Folkestone playing for the team we were constantly trying to recruit you know down in Folkestone we live by the sea so we've automatically lost half our uh, sphere of influence so <laughs> it's doubly hard um you know all those always those recruitment you know in women's rugby and men's rugby you know lots of men's clubs used to run out with four men's teams and a Colts team and a vets team and some of them might even have a, a women's team as well and then they've got a whole raft mini and junior sections quite often holding up many clubs <laughs> um yeah. financially um and that you know all all kind of um all different sections of the clubs are struggling a bit now aren't they and we're kind of we're competing with kind of flexible sport or we're kind of competing with the fitness industry we're competing with um with kind of different types of jobs different types of working now we're competing with sunday shops which never used to be around, did they? In the days, you know, mini rugby early on, that's what you did. You went and played sport because the shops weren't open. We're competing with like gaming, computing gaming, you know, which is kind of like so many kids are kind of interested now. So we, we have got a really, really difficult job. And I think you're right, until you're in it, until you're in the middle of it, you don't quite realise how special it is. So trying to like, trying to say to people, okay, oh, you'll meet friends. Oh, you'll work, you know, you'll, you'll become a great team worker. You can put that on your CV, you know, like, but it's difficult isn't it it's just I think rugby clubs are very good at creating like this really welcoming environment and you know for younger kids it's getting those parents on board isn't it and actually getting that sort of social connection for parents would be is very important I think because that then keeps them in the club and their kids have to go <laughs> and then they'll learn to love it I think and then you get older and you you, you played a game and then you're back in your club or not you know been watching the guys on a Saturday or whatever or you've been fortunate a women's game on a Saturday and you're back in your club and you're singing and you've got a pint in your hand and you look around there's all your friends and there's people from the opposition who are also kind of friends you know and I just think and you experience that you think yeah that, that's why that's why I'm here but it takes that time doesn't it I, th I think you have to build that social connection don't you particularly you know with mini rugby or whatever you have to build that connection with parents so some, it becomes something more than simply standing on the side of the pitch, you know, it becomes something bigger than that. And I think, you know, most clubs I think are are good at building that. I think that's I think that's the key for youth rugby. I love it. I feel I feel like you should mic drop now. That is just <laughs> gold. Uh, there's so much in there. My girls are now nine and eleven, and they've run around rugby clubs. And the thing is, a dad I love. I know they're safe. And if yeah. anything was to happen to them, you know, if if they fell over they would be you know someone would pick them up and say you know dad's over there or i'll go and get your dad and the other thing they love is a raffle oh oh yeah who doesn't love a raffle bruce who doesn't love a raffle <laughs> the the two of them love a raffle to the point where at one of my previous clubs at murrayfield wanderers i used to have to buy j2o to put into the raffle just in case they won because it was all alcohol and they couldn't but they were the ones that had the tickets so i would buy it and i'd give it to the captain murray hasty and say right if Maisie and katie come up give them the j2o so i would have to put j2o in every week just in case they won but oh, they that's very nice you didn't just get them to transport the alcohol <laughs> no bring, they, bring a bottle of wine to my mate very good <laughs> They absolutely love the clubhouse, as do I, and it's it's where 
the relationships are built. And like you're saying about the parents, that's where you get the investment in them. And I, as a coach, I always tried to, one of my old assistant coaches used to laugh because he used to say, I knew all the boys' mums. But I used to make a point of speaking to all the parents because I wanted them to feel welcome in the clubhouse. And I wanted and and clubhouses can be intimidating places for, for people it, like you and I, you know, yeah. we probably feel quite comfortable. But for some people, it can be intimidating, especially if you weren't there from seven and eight like like you were. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. It, it can be. I was about. It's sort of two sides of that because I, I agree with your point from earlier. Rugby clubs are just incredibly safe places, which is is fantastic. Um, and then you know you can go around the world, and you, there's always a welcoming place for you. You know, no matter where you are, you've got friends, haven't you? Um, you can go to a rugby club. But equally, it can be intimidating sometimes. And um, you know, how do we how do we get people to kind of walk across that door and kind of sometimes we have to take it out into the community, don't we? And, and kind of show that. But ultimately, we want people in our clubs. We want people in our clubs. Houses, you know that's what keeps things ticking over doesn't it so they, they can be you know they can be intimidating anywhere sort of new or different you know but like the first girl in school feeling isn't it going somewhere new so it's yeah it's quickly and very quickly isn't it bringing those people together and kind of you know showing that actually it's very warm friendly place i love it right let's step out of clubland and let's talk if if let, uh, the first one let's go back to the boot who would you like what other player would you like to write a book who would whose story would you like to read oh, goodness me well i mean you've spoken to rockstar rocky i think she's got a brilliant story she's got and she's spanned the game hasn't she from sort of very much amateur. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not is referring that, in any is way, that a polite to way of saying what <laughs> she's got incredible staying power i mean she will carry on playing until she's literally kind of wheeled off the pitch because she can't she's just but she's just such a top top person so i'd kind of um I would love to read her book. Um, oh, who else? Yeah, she'd probably be my. She'd be. I'd quite like to read Street and Graham's book. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, they they're just on their podcast series. On very yeah. interesting. Graham particularly, I think he's. I have so much time for him. Um, their time with England stopped rather abruptly, and there's. I don't I don't know a lot of things they can't say not allowed to say you know etc etc I'd love to read a book when they could talk all about that but also Graham's got you know he's got really sort of interesting you know what he's done where he's been and his sort of transition into the women's game um and the sort of the journey he went on and then you know his kind of what he's done kind of post England or what he hasn't done um you know he's now I think he's going to be involved in London Irish to set up there so women's team that's brilliant see him back in the women's game actually his his book would be quite interesting. Um, Tamara again, like you've, you know, you've kind of latched onto the characters there, haven't you? Tamara and Rockstar, they'd be brilliant. Um, but then some players, sort of slightly, kind of before my term, Burnsy, Jill Burns, actually Steve Jones, I think they did set about a project writing a book. Oh, okay. Happened in the end. She's got some stories. She's a great. Um, she's a great storyteller. I just looked up to her so much. She'd be brilliant. Um, but yeah, probably around the world as well. There'd be some interesting stories from there. Awesome. Yeah, so, 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 good, but she'd have some good photos as well, particularly when she was younger. Photos that she probably wouldn't want to be in the book. <laughs> yeah, she's she's absolutely gold. You, you've spoken about Jill Burns there. Tamara spoke about not needing to see it, to be it. And that's one of the things now that's you, you said it before about women's rugby now becoming a bit fashionable to be involved in. And you, you're mentioning guys there who were involved maybe before it was fashionable mm -hmm. and they probably hold 
a lot of kudos amongst those who were involved because they were doing it because they wanted to and they valued it and and that gives them that kind of standing in in the community is there is there a place for that more now you think than there was before did you need that did you need to see it to be it um well i mean i didn't see much women's rugby as i was growing up i saw rugby all around me um i was a huge bath fan my dad's from there so we would just watch and they used to be good <laughs> the golden <laughs> decade still got the video the vhs anyway um I, I loved watching that you know, i loved kind of you know watching bath and then you know i we used to go to twickenham when they're in the pilkington cup final used to be called and watched several of those the days when you could then go on the pitch at the end there was one day oh it was amazing gareth chilcott Kuchi, one of the biggest brilliant most best personalities in the game and i remember bath had won another pilkington cup final was it? Oh, sorry, i can't remember who they were playing against that year and i just remember stood on the pitch at twickenham and they'd gone up the step to lift up the trophy and me and these what felt like hundreds of thousands of probably grown men and i was probably that eight we go coochie 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 and i just i just loved those sort of moments you know rugby was all around me and then obviously the local club as well and then just um I, so I, I saw rugby i didn't see women's rugby and the first real time i saw a glimpse of kind of women's rugby and it, it was seeing jill burns on rugby special um with the brilliant john Inverdell a long long time ago there was like a women's rugby player on tv what is that about what there must be some mistake and that was brilliant watching her and then um i saw Bernsey play um when i went to i went to university in cardiff so i went down to kind of check it out and and there were six nations on at the same time so we went to watch wales versus england that was kind of my first taste of live proper international rugby and i was like yeah that's pretty good so i i, I saw rug i saw rugby i didn't really see women's rugby but I saw lots of sport. I kind of, I saw some women's sports. Sally Gunnell was kind of the person I was very kind of quite prevalent in the media, even back then. Um, so yeah, I saw rugby. I didn't see a lot of women's rugby, but I suppose because I was so in the middle of it, I, I did kind of, I could not play it. Um, but if I wasn't in that environment and I didn't see it at all, it would have been difficult to start it. I wouldn't have thought that that was something that I could do. Um, so I think there is a certain sense of you do need to see it or there needs to be there needs to be opportunity everywhere. You know, when I when I was playing, the nearest opportunity for some girls was like 250 miles away. Now that's not that's not an opportunity really, is it? Um but that's you know that's that's the biggest thing I think that's trying to change. And when you see social media Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, who do you look at and think, I mean, that's, that's going to get people playing? that that's a role model that's somebody that youngsters are going to latch on to who, who do you see and you think yeah they're they're the future 
Yeah, I mean, oh goodness. Well, I mean, Sunday was an example, wasn't it, of the Premier 15s final? You know, they showed it on BT, didn't they? And there's just social media everywhere. You could read about it in the papers. Couldn't do that a few years ago. Um, you know, and with the birth of social media, it's been really good for, for women's sport and women's sport. And there certainly is kind of a following now, isn't there? You know, Burford's been doing great things, isn't she? Burford with her girls' rugby club, um, which has been brilliant, you know, inspiring so many young girls to kind of play. Um, and there's some real characters, isn't there? Um, Mo Hunt is doing brilliantly. I know she's been injured, but I kind of, oh, she's doing doing brilliantly on sort of having more women and, and, you know, players and commentary and things like that. She's been fantastic. Nolly Waterman as well, you know, my old mate, as in she's not old, we're old mates. You know what I mean, Bruce? What's just getting on? But I can't say she's old because I'm obviously about 20 years older than her because she's still young. Um, you know, she's kind of that person. And she's so bubbly as well, Nolly, every time she's on something. And that, you know, that's going to inspire youngsters as well. And then a whole crop of players that are coming through when they've only known profile and media and, and social media. And it's just mm-hmm. going to become normal to them, isn't it? So a whole crop of youngsters that are going to inspire. So it's going to be a ripple effect, isn't it? The the thing I find on social media with um, girls clubs or or women's clubs, the social aspect seems so appealing mm. to, to me. Some some of those softer skills that you're talking about. Now I don't necessarily mean that you're seeing pictures of them in the clubhouse drinking a pint. I mean the the selfies they take during training and some of the videos that they post. You can see women together enjoying what they're doing it's purposeful it's athletic and to me everybody seems welcome yeah oh goodness me yeah absolutely any any everyone is welcome you know and and whatever club you go to sort of premiership or you know just started a new club somewhere haven't played a game yet everyone is welcome everywhere which is brilliant but i think i think also i think female rugby players whether they realize it or not consciously or unconsciously still feel they have a duty to share the game and and you know for exactly the reasons you said and that might not necessarily be in the in the men's game so much so there is this duty to kind of actually we've got it which is quite a responsibility really but it's like you know we have to inspire the next generation we have to kind of keep on going you know and I think every player involved in the game feels that so I think that's why we see a lot of that and you know people are latching onto social media aren't they more and more um there's definitely a responsibility to kind of tell our story and actually it's okay, it's okay to play. And and that was a bit interesting actually when I, I um, this isn't a plug back to it, but it does follow on. When I wrote my book, I didn't really write it for youngsters. And there's probably bits in the book that isn't really, it definitely isn't aimed at youngsters. And there's, but there's this sort of expectation as a female player that, oh, you know, is that, you know, that are, that's kind of inspiring the next generation or or how are you going to get more people into the game or how are you going to do this it's like I don't necessarily think that men would get those same questions yeah um, but yeah so it is interesting so I think yeah you know social media has been brilliant for the women's game and there's but as you say he's always you can see these just like brilliant happy smiley faces with friends kind of thing and and it's brilliant to share that it's been a brilliant to you know share it on a different medium I think everyone still feels this kind of like yeah we need to as part of our job job, job. <laughs> part of our job to do that you know and um, do you realize are you are you willing and able and broad enough shoulders to take that you're playing a big part in that um it's been it's been nice to sort of look back on that and 
I kind of think about it, you know, occasionally I'm like, oh, you know, it'd be quite a good time to be involved, wouldn't it? You know, you'd get like, get some quite nice profile, this and that, <laughs> like, you know, like get some really good support at club rugby, get to, you know, get access. You know, I was lucky enough to get access to things that in, with England rugby, but at club rugby you might even get like a physio. That's quite cool, isn't it? And you could get like some nice kit that fits. Although I don't really like fitted shirts, but, um, uh, <laughs> um, me, you know, like all this amazing stuff, you know, you get to play club rugby on TV. That's pretty cool. Rather than on the fourth pitch over the road, around the back of the trees. Um, so I kind of think, yeah, it would be quite a good time to play. But having said that, I'm really proud of the time that I played and, you know, just sort of starting to get into that birth, you know, post 2010, that sort of birth of kind of, a little bit more media attention and you know some kind of you know for the sport a little bit more profile a little bit more cued I'm kind of proud of being part of that um you know and, and as the sport grows I suppose people will have perhaps a slightly lesser of an influence in a way just because the sport's got bigger and bigger you know they're going to have more and more people with perhaps still with influence but not so um magnetized have i just made up a word uh, yeah but i like it and, <laughs> and why not i mean pundits are doing it all the time they're coming up also even referees are at it as well so why not, why not? Uh, how how cool is it to think that maybe on christmas morning uh a girl who's just started rugby is unwrapping mud mall mascara is is that because you can't see that unless they tweet you a picture of like, is there a bit of you wishing you could see where every book goes and everybody it, that reads it yeah it would be it would be great you know you don't, that's the thing with writing a book you kind of don't really know where it's gone or what you know or like you know things like that and some people you know might post a comment or a view on you know on a on a large online book retail <laughs> and you know but it's also in shelves and bookstores around the country which is amazing and some people even go in and pick it up and pay for it and you know or like people might well unwrap it for christmas or birthdays out on paperback soon as well, Bruce. um so like that is you know but you can't you can't see it all so it's kind of like you just kind of like you've done this thing you've created this thing and it's like now off you go <laughs> off you go on your journey and and see what happens so yeah it'd be, you know it'd be lovely to it's really nice to sort of get that feedback from some people and um you know someone's really enjoyed it or you know actually what I really like actually is you know you know it might be a young girl that's just started playing rugby what I also really like it might be a you know a guy that's played rugby for their life and has just picked it up to read another rugby book that's what I really like. Someone that's not picked it up because it's a book by women. They picked it up because it's a book about rugby and it's just a slightly different take on it. That's that's what I really like, actually. Yeah, that's that's me. Uh, I I picked it up because it's a book about rugby, and I wanted I wanted to hear your story. I I spoke to a couple of Irish former Irish internationals, and I was telling them I'd read Rala's book. Rala was the kit man for Ireland and for the British Lions. And they were like, how, how the hell do you know about Rala? I was like, well, I'd read other stories of people taking the mickey out of Rala and I wanted to read Rala's side of it. So I even <laughs> read I even read the kit man's autobiography. So I, I love it. And whenever I go into a bookshop, I tend to move yours to the front 
of the Amazing. shelf. Uh, I, I put it in front of James Haskell's. Um, oh, so, he, so there's yeah. no way he's ever coming on the pod. If he ever, no, that he'll listen to this. But if he ever listens to this, he's going to hear about it. Um, he, he doesn't need any more help with his book sales, does he? No. He's doing all right. He's got yeah. another one out, hasn't he, recently? Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I'm. I'm actually. I've started his book. I'm. I'm on it just yeah. now. Yeah, I've started his book. It's no mud mall mascara. Let's face it. But I'll. <laughs> I'll give it a go. Um, so the future then for for rugby how how involved do you want to be are you happy to to sit and watch the if somebody comes and chaps the door and said can you help me can you mentor can you coach are you interested will you administrate will you what, what would you say I ask myself this question every day <laughs> and you've got plenty of time because you've not just started a new career and got a two-year-old and all the other things that like you've got heaps of time on your hands yeah, yeah. I have this kind of turmoil that goes on all the time. Like, how much do I want to? Part of me, part of me just wants to say, right, I'm off. I've done my book. I've, I've given a huge amount to the game. I've got, I have got stuff back as well. I'm kind of, that's my time. I'm done. Part of me does feel like that. But I, and I kind of think, oh, I could just sit in the garden, watch my daughter run around with a cup of tea or, you know, maybe gin and tonic in the evening. And just enjoy it and just not feel guilty about not doing other stuff. And then part of me was like, oh, I still need to be involved. But like, why do I need to be involved? You know, like, is that purely just the kind of self-gratification or something? I don't know. And this is what I'm trying to work out. I mean, my time's a bit limited. You know, I'm, you know, I was taking this new career. I've got, you know, an amazing daughter. I'm still doing some other kind of side sort of business stuff as well. And, you know, I but I do, you know, I do have time. If I really wanted to do it, I would do more. You know, I, I loved, I was really fortunate enough to be able to do a fair amount of commentary and stuff like that. But I I see, I see new people, you know, coming into the game. As I said, mentioned earlier, Mo Hunt, brilliant and on commentary. And, you know, Emily Scarrett will be in there when she retires. Nolly's doing her stuff. Maggie's still going strong, you know. And I kind of think, actually, they're doing a brilliant job. You know, even if I wanted to do that now, I wouldn't have the time to, to prep myself to do it. So, you know, I, I love commentary. If I got if I got the odd opportunity, but I, it's the time as well, isn't it? And actually, do you know what? Maybe I will just sit back and be a fan now and kind of watch other people and and be happy for other people, which is not always easy. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Maybe I'll set up a little rugby club at my school. Perhaps. Um, maybe I won't. <laughs> maybe I'll just start watching rugby on telly again. Um, but I, yeah, it, it, that's not been a quick answer, that has it? Because I don't know the answer myself. I don't know. Um, I, I'm on a sort of small committee thing with World Rugby, but even now I'm like, do I want to do that? Do I not? Have I got time? Like the game doesn't necessarily need me anymore. <laughs> the, the, you know, I, I can be there if I want to be there. You know, like. I, I, I don't know, Bruce. You'll have to ask me. <laughs> you must. I, I really enjoy doing things. I love chatting about it. So it's been, I, I really enjoy this, you know, I enjoy things like this. And I, I hope that I can still sort of chat about things occasionally. I, I, I still don't know what level I want to be involved in the game. Maybe when my daughter's a little older, I'll be one of those parents that comes welcomed back into a club and will be on the side of the pitch at mini rugby. And then I probably won't say no when someone says, oh, look, here's a whistle. <laughs> or can you just help out with the uh, with the under sevens? Oh, OK, yeah, I'll do that. And then I'll do so. That's probably what's going to happen, I think. Um, and maybe until then, I'll just have a bit of a, a bit of time out. 
Brilliant. Well, can I just say the game does need you and the game wants you, but it's there when you're ready for it and, and, and not before. Um, so here's the scenario. The phone goes, Spence, uh, we're getting the band back together. We're going to play a game, uh, modified rules. It's on Saturday afternoon and then we're going to have a big party after. Are you, are you in? What, what do if you say? Modi- if the modified rules are a five metre by two metre pitch and you can only maul, uh, I would be there like a shot. Spoken um, like a true English international forward. Love it. Uh, if it involves anything wider than that, I may be. I, I, my, um, joking aside, my body's a bit broken. I've got arthritic knees. I can't really run very well. I, I miss it terribly. Right. And I, I, if if my body wasn't as broken, I would probably find myself back on a pitch because I just love it. You can't replicate it anywhere else, can you? Like whatever level you've been playing at, not playing rugby again is quite difficult. You know, whatever level. Um, so I, I would be there for the party, absolutely. Um, I, I oh, probably what I would do is just get find myself on the pitch and then I wouldn't be able to walk for two weeks my husband like what have you done um so yeah I, I would be there in some capacity absolutely and, and even if that phone calls in 30 years time you know that Rocky Clark is going to be there with her boots in a Tesco bag ready to go <laughs> Rocky would still be playing or any other supermarket that is available um I prefer to put mine in a weight trace bag but like, oh yes plastic bag boot bagger um but um yeah she'd still be playing rocky would still be playing um tomorrow would probably be yeah would she be coaching or something um maggie would be would she be there she'd be like wandering around the edge wouldn't she nolly would be very excited somewhere just very excited very bubbly excited um yeah i yeah graham would be moaning about the scrums or something it would be brilliant. I do, you know, like you get so close to some people, particularly, you know, sort of like, yeah, at club, but then, you know, talking about England, you know, 2006, I was involved in the World Cup. So you get so close to those people, you know, this group of people, and then you just all disperse off, you know, and it, it's to have that kind of moment with those people again would be incredible, just kind of be in a room with some of them again. Um, but yeah, it's a funny, it's a funny old thing, isn't it? You kind of like, for 80 minutes and the time around that, you would just do absolutely everything possible for the person next to you or the person in front of you, wherever. You you would literally do everything. I mean, some of those people, some of the people I've stayed in contact with, some of them, you hardly see them again. It's a, it's a funny old thing. So while, while I love Clubland and we've spoken about the clubhouse, for me, the most important room in rugby is the changing room. Is Is that the bit you're talking about that you actually miss? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that feeling before a match, isn't it? And you're in that huddle and you're kind of looking into each other's eyes and you know you're about to go and do this thing together and that kind of that building of emotions and kind of just watching everything, everyone, and and you're kind of, you're bonded so hugely together. And then you hear the stud, oh, you don't get them so many now, do you? But you hear the studs and that that sound when you're running out onto, I used to walk, conserve energy. When you're going out onto the pitch, the sound of the studs, you're like, it just, you're going to go and do this thing together that you all love. And then coming back into the changing room, that kind of, often it was good. Well, actually club was a bit more difficult, but that kind of those shared emotions afterwards, that kind of being together, that kind of, is just incredible, like, 
they're a huge part of my memories yeah the changing room just yeah where else can you get that there's there's two bits to that well I don't know if you wanted an answer to that but nowhere to me there's there's nowhere like a changing room and you said about playing I've I've been a coach for for a long time and it is a very distant second to being a player there is nothing better in the world than being a player and in that changing room but there's there's two bits to that story you told there my daughter Katie was desperate for studs she was desperate for boots and I bought her boots she didn't really want them to play. She didn't. She wanted them for the noise. Oh, it's amazing noise. She'd been yeah. to so many games and she'd seen players come across the concrete or the slabs onto the grass and she loved the noise. And I was like, yeah, you're definitely mine. You are definitely my daughter because that. No, there are certain things and changing rooms, that, that bond, that emotion, we see each other at the most vulnerable, at the strongest, at the most optimistic, at the most mm-hmm. broken and that's why I hate cameras in changing rooms. Uh, I, I would have banned them, Bruce. If I was still, if they were about when I was still captain, I would have banned them. You're not allowed in here. And I don't care who's involved, what TV's involved. That's our space. No one else is allowed in there. So, you know, I, I kind of look at that now and I think, well, I just wouldn't let them in. Just wouldn't let them yeah. in. What are they going to do if all the players say they can't come in? They're not going to cancel the game, are they? So I just think it's some things are private and that and that definitely is one. And I just, yeah, I just, I watch it now a bit like, no, they're not allowed. So c- can you give me a moment that you are allowed to share? Because those some of those moments are, should never, ever go further. But is there anything in the changing room? Is there a moment, is there a game where you thought I'd give anything to, to be there? Was it the anticipation before? Was it the celebration after? Was it... Is there a is there one that if you could bottle and and take every night before bed that that you would? There's a, there's there's probably a few um, and yeah the the, the change room at Vogue were brilliant just there with your with your best friends um, team talks at university my amazing captain Pears was just brilliant because she just made me just feel just so amazing um, from the England point of view I I loved the the change room before and after our 2009 victory over New Zealand at Twickenham and the best thing about the warm-up was it it got shortened (laughs) Um, because the men's game there was an issue with the referee or something and then that game was going on and on and on so we had to stay in the change room for longer so we had like we had exercise bikes in the change room and stuff so we were kind of starting to do a warm-up in this well I mean they're quite they're quite palatial change rooms well ours wasn't like the men's you know it was a bit smaller obviously but it was still quite big compared to most change rooms but relatively speaking it was quite a small space to warm up in so all that kind of charged energy and emotion was kind of contained in these balls and then when we did go out for a warm-up outside it was like only like 10-15 minutes so we were hugely focused so we weren't kind of wandering and that that was quite an incredible warm-up I think and then obviously the feeling after that beating the black bears the champagne in the change room just this absolute euphoria at what we'd just done was just I mean I, w- I would go back there if I could that was a, that was a boss moment yeah I, I love that and those are feelings that it's hard to give anybody else and that you had you had to be there you had to be in that space in that moment you could and if there was a camera phone there yeah we'd have seen it but you can't you can't feel it no no no, yeah it it would and I think as soon as you put the camera in there it's not it's not real is it it's not you're that you're aware that it's there you're kind of something's taken away isn't it but it's um 
yeah, some incredible moments and um, some quite sad moments in change rooms as well, yeah. but some, some yeah, pretty pretty special times. So when when Ian McGeekin spoke to the Lions, he's he in one of his many speeches he said, "In thirty years' time, you'll just there'll just be a look." Do you have that when you bump into people that there's just a look and your husband goes, "Oh, she's off again," or is <laughs> is there a is there a look? Is there a moment? Is there a shared giggle at something? Oh, I think you'd always have that, wouldn't you? You've been so you've been so close to people. I think actually that you know, particularly folks, but also when I was with Aylesford and um they're the club that I went to when I first retired and then and then to play some social rugby and then we got promoted and promoted again ended up back in the premiership so I I they were short of a coach so I, I said I'd coach but then I missed that feeling so then I changed myself into a player coach <laughs> um to get that feeling back in the changing room but I think with those players because we were just fighting so hard every week just for survival just to stay in the premiership which actually then led on to harlequins and then obviously their win with the premiership um this season um because we fought so hard we became so close that team and i just remember yeah looks between eyes in the changing room um there were some yeah there were some funny moments though in that <laughs> there was one moment when um i i was it was when i was captain or player coach um and I didn't realize someone who'd kind of who'd, who'd sort of left the game to have a baby and I didn't know where this was before my time at the club she came back to be involved in the club and I didn't realize that one of the players said you know why don't you just come and join up you know with a warm-up and sort of get in and change room and get used and she, I didn't know who she was so I was a bit like who's that person anyway I just kind of got on with it and then she was there in the change room as well and then she was there in the huddle but she wasn't just there in the huddle she was also there accompanied by a, a breast pump because she was still breastfeeding her daughter. So I was stood there delivering this team talk with this person I didn't know next to me. Um, well, yeah, I, I don't, you know, pumping breast milk into this little bottle. And I was trying to get this like really serious. And then I think it's gone too far. I can't say anything now. I can't say who I, I and it, yeah, that was, um, that was a really funny moment or it's like you know other funny moments when someone just said something and they talk that just it was just stupid or like timing of it and you're looking around and you're like who's gonna laugh first but yeah there were some brilliant moments in that change room that was that was particularly unique moment the, the changing room is the place where you don't have to grow up no. You, no. You, you totally regress as soon as you go into a changing room you go back to being a 16 year old idiot yeah yeah you do you do yeah club lounge you do yeah england was a bit different i spent a lot of my england career looking after heather fisher and making sure she had everything she needed and then i'm like right now i need to get changed have you got this have you got that you're right you know like yeah do you kind of make sure everyone else is all right don't you and then go oh, hang on i need to get ready too but um yeah yeah some special moments so we've not even touched on five grand slams and all those things what you, you mentioned something earlier before we before I hit record. What opportunities have come because you were Catherine Spencer, the rugby player? Um, oh, goodness. Yeah, I mean, my life probably was, I'm on the whole business probably, I wouldn't have done if I hadn't been Catherine Spencer, the rugby player. So, I, yeah, this, this speak region, which I still have now, is still sort of, it's still trickling along, got to decide what to do with it. Um, but that, that was based on a huge kind of start with, sort of network of 
hugely valuable contacts. I didn't realise while I was still playing how valuable this network becomes. Um, and I wouldn't have had the confidence to set up my own public speaking business. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have got into public speaking, which I absolutely love, if I wasn't Catherine Spencer, probably being a rugby captain. Um, I've been involved with Tag Rugby Trust, which is an amazing, amazing charity, um, which I probably wouldn't have got involved in in the same way unless I was Catherine Spencer, rugby player. And that's been a huge part. And it is a huge part of my life. Incredible. The whole other podcast on that. Um, and so that's just that has been brilliant and you know various other things that you, you pop up in life where you go to certain events or you do different things or you're in on stage i went to hong kong uh, I, i'm not i'm not really a fan of seven if i'm honest but i went out to hong kong um a few years ago to be one of their ambassadors you know and uh, have a nice time and go to different events and there was it was a it was doddy weir fundraiser actually one and um and Oh my goodness, a ridiculous amount of legends in the room, all male, <laughs> but incredible. You know, people are, you know, sort of similar age to me or people that I'd looked up to or people that I'd watched. And at the end, they invited all the legends up onto stage and they named them one by one and they called out their name and they called out my name as well. And so I was stood there on this stage with all these just incredible male <laughs> rugby players. And I was there too. And I was just like, that was one moment where I was just like, this is quite, you know, I didn't like, I didn't take a photo of it. I didn't kind of, it was just this thing in a, in this event that, you know, I was away from it. And it was just amazing. And I think at one point I wouldn't have gone up. I'd be so embarrassed. But no, no, they don't need me. They don't need me. But I was like, yeah, I should be up there. And I just felt like that was one moment when I was like, I can't believe I'm here. I pinched myself a little bit. Brilliant. <laughs> Hong Kong's a land of opportunity. I'm going to get in touch with Martin Murray because I'm sure there's photographs of that. Martin Murray will be able to get photographs of that. Oh, that would be amazing. Um, yeah, Hong Kong was certainly, um, it was a unique one, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes one chai gets you and you're not sure what happened next, but we'll leave that for another pod. But uh, can I just say... You, you have just committed to another pod, by the way. I, I heard it and it's recorded. I did hit record this time. So, yes, that is happening. Now, you told me you've been on Eggheads. Uh, the worst thing is, Bruce, I've been on it twice. The first one really should be a warning sign not to go on it again. Um, the first one was, but tomorrow was on it. I think Sue Day, Maggie was on it. We all did terrible. Actually, I didn't do too badly. I got too right and I got to sudden death. And I got like, oh, I'm so annoyed about it. I'm still annoyed about it now. Like, I got my answers wrong. Like, I'm really annoyed about it. Um, but as a team, we did terribly. We went on as a women's rugby team. And we we weren't good. Um, and then I went back on uh, four years ago as part of a sort of celebrity series, women's sports. And myself and Maggie was there again. She pops up every day. Um, Goldie Sayers, who's brilliant, um, one of my speakers, Ebony Rainford Brent and Sarah Stevenson. It was quite a nice group. Anyway, so we went on back on as a kind of a, I think they called us ladies who lunge. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, but I did even worse. I only got one question and it, oh, it was just embarrassing. I should have got the, I knew the questions with the pressure of the moment. Of, and I sat next to Judith going up against Judith. Just, oh, it, yeah. I am not, I am not going on it again. So Ever. you're you're not one for the pub quiz team then? You're I I quite like a quiz actually. I quite like a pub quiz. Um Egghead's format didn't do me any favours. Um but I do quite I quite like a pub quiz. I mean I'm uh, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm brilliant. <laughs> I enjoy it. I quite yeah, enjoy the... thinking that, oh yeah, I know that, but I really don't. 
Yeah, you're you're there for the entertainment. And now, I mean, you're now a teacher. I reckon you'd be a cool teacher. I reckon you're the kind of teacher that kids would come home and go, Mum, Dad, you'll never guess. And uh, is there a copy of this in the school library? Please tell me there's a school library. There is a school library. Okay. and Please I, tell I, me there's a copy. I am going to take some to give to the school library. I haven't done as yet, but I will do. Um, I haven't got a classroom this year. I'm hoping I'll have one next year, in which case there will be a copy of that. Maybe a shirt up somewhere. Or, or something just to kind of help to tell a story to the kids. But, um, yeah, I've spoken to a few. And actually, a teacher said to me the other day, they were watching some of my rugby stuff, which is quite nice. I wasn't even in the classroom, so that was quite nice. And, um, yeah, I, I yeah, it, it will be there. Its presence will be there. <laughs> so last day of term, kids have brought in their board games and then you put on the Happinesses podcast for them to watch on YouTube. It, it's got to happen. Oh, yeah, yeah, it will do, yeah. Of course it will. So uh, you need to give a shout out to your school. Oh, I should do, shouldn't I? So the school that I I, am teaching at is Brock Hill. It's actually called Brock Hill Performing Arts College. It's down, it's near Folkestone, actually. Um, It's a beautiful school. It's it's got loads, it's got a farm on the school. So I kind of drive in in the morning and I can hear like the chickens fucking and then there's some cows and sheep and the pig that's just had piglets. And, you know, it's like, what a lovely school and really nice environment. Um, So, yeah, that's that's the school that I'm at. And, yeah, really lovely, lovely school to be working at. That sounds absolutely amazing. I love it. I absolutely love it. Well, Catherine, I've loved talking to you. It's been so great to finally be kind of face to face. We've been in touch over a period of time. So thank you so much. But I ask all the guests to finish off and, and you've promised to come back, which I'm pleased with because we could talk for a long time. Um, for you, happiness is... Happiness is uh, gin and tonic on a beach, looking at the sea, watching my husband play with my daughter. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I saw something this morning saying, why do I have to be a mum 24 hours a day? Can I not be a dad? And I thought... I wonder what that means, but I love yeah. that. Yeah, oh, that's a, that's a third podcast talking about <laughs> mums and dads and parents. And yeah, don't get me started on that. Bill, maybe another blog series coming along, but yeah. Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you so, so much. I've absolutely loved speaking to you and all the very best for the future. And I've got no doubt you're going to be a fabulous teacher, uh, whatever school you end up in. Uh, and I think they're going to be trying really hard to keep hold of you. Oh, absolute pleasure. I know it's been so nice chatting to you, Bruce. And yeah, thanks for thanks for supporting rugby in the way you do and, and women's rugby. Oh, shucks. <laughs> Thank you so much. Brilliant to speak to you. All the very best. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I have had an absolute ball with my birthday buddy. Uh, although, as you'll agree, those people who are on Facebook and YouTube, she looks much, much younger than I do. I had a much harder paper round than Catherine, obviously. Uh, brilliant messages. The future is bright, I think, for Catherine. And hopefully somebody somewhere is going to be able to convince her that her time and opinions and experience are much, much needed to keep the game improving. Many of these players now are standing on the shoulders of people like Catherine's Spencer and enjoying the fruits of her labour. We didn't get close to so, so much, so I'm delighted that she quite innocently said that she's coming back on. So watch this space for Catherine Spencer, part two. 
My name is Bruce Aitchison from Happiness is Egg Shaped. You can catch us on ACAST, Spotify and Apple. Please leave a review if you've enjoyed it and you can subscribe on YouTube and watch us on Facebook. And if you like, leave a comment about people you would like to see feature in future. We've got a cracking guest list so far. We've got more in the can. I hope you've enjoyed it. I absolutely love it. And I look forward to speaking to you all very, very soon. All the very best and my happiness is egg shaped. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And, and our, our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped. Loves a circle with no end. No, let's talk about this last night. And he said, happiness is egg-shaped. Great. Right, um, happiness is an egg-shaped shape. Happiness is egg-shaped. Loves a circle with no end. 